and welcome to the latest Science Support Podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Aman Singh Shagil. So Aman is a physical performance scientist at Aston Villa Football Club. He is also a PhD candidate at the University of Chester where he's looking into how you can use GPS devices to optimise sporting performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Aman onto the show. So Aman, welcome to the Science Support Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. No, thank you for having me, mate. Thank Pleasure you very much for joining. Oh, thank you for joining us. It's been uh, it's been a, a difficult one to get sorted, but we've got it sorted. So I'm really happy. We've about got that. there. We got there. <laughs> um, so, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah. Um, so I um, did a undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science at the University of Birmingham. Um, during that, I did a work placement at a like, kind of internship program at Birmingham City Football Club within the academy. Um, I was lucky enough to stay on uh, after that um, internship for, because of them, for about just over four years. Uh, whilst finishing my degree, and then after I finished my degree, so I went from in that four, just over four year period from intern to first team sports scientist. Um, so I had good time there, and then had the opportunity to move to Aston Villa Football Club now, where I'm physical performance scientist with the first team. Absolutely excellent, mate. So you've had a you've had a really solid grounding at University of Birmingham, which I can certainly attest to as being a, a really good university. Um, and you've got some good applied experience too. Uh, and you're doing your PhD as well. So what's your what's your PhD? Yes, in? yeah. So I'm doing a PhD as well with uh, Chester University currently. So I'm doing some research with them, and it's mainly looking around how we can we can make uh, training look more like the game, and trying to quantify different parts of of match day. Uh, and how training can be brought closer to that from a physical perspective. Fantastic. So we can touch on that a little bit later, but first things first, uh, I want to go through some of the importance of data and, and why we use it, right? So um, firstly, what's the importance of data within a, a multidisciplinary sports science team? Uh, yeah, I think I think it is very important. Um, and I think the importance comes around being objective. Um, if, for me, if you can't measure it, then you can't factually know if it's an issue or not. Um, of course, there are some subjective things that you can flag and you can know if, if things are issues. But if you're not measuring it, you can't factually know that. And you you can't have an idea whether it's improving or getting worse, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that objectivity is really important, and especially across a, an MDT where you have so many measurable um, variables in every discipline. So, you know, from from the medical perspective, from a nutrition perspective, from a sports science perspective, outdoors, fitness side of things. You know, you've got so many tests and so much data that often does get gathered. Um, So having that objectivity is is really important to be able to know, almost get the better idea of where the player's at. I think without being able to get objective information from across these disciplines, it's difficult to get a real player profile and an understanding of of where that player is. Absolutely excellent. So is that something that you you think is important then, the the kind of the profiling of a player to make sure that you've got all of the information possible to make the best decisions possible? I think so. And it, it's it's around that. It's about then being able to make the best informed decision you can when you have the rounded information of that player profile. Um, you can then kind of get an idea as to what kind of areas would you get the best bang for buck if you were to do extra work with a player or where he need, that player needs to improve. Um, and you can only kind of know that if you if you have that objective um, nature around some of the testing. Um and then, like I say, once you have that player profile, you can work on priorities of, of improvement, what's going to improve performance or make that player more robust quicker. And you'll probably likely pick them things first um, over other issues. 
Absolutely brilliant, mate. So uh, we touched obviously on your your PhD as well, and that kind of uh, that kind of data usage leads into your PhD. Um, can you tell us a little yeah. bit more about what you've been studying there um, so far? Yeah, so so a lot of um, the work I've done is around the use of, of GPS devices and and everything that comes within these devices now. Um, and one of the things that obviously is a limitation of GPS is is the surroundings and the environment in which it's used. And often it's used within elite sport, within these big stadiums. And um, obviously the higher you get, the bigger the stadiums, the bigger um, the stands around, and therefore the bigger potential for signal noise with GPS. Um, so my first study, first chapter within the PhD was was looking around that. Um, it actually stems from, if you, if you look at, a, you can get 2D tra- tracking of um, players on GPS. So if on, on pretty, probably every uh, GPS manufacturer, if you look at a game and watch a 2D tracking of this device, you'll often see occasions where a device or the player in, this, in the instance of watching it will be moving as normal. And then you'll see the player like disappear into the stands to one corner to the other corner and come back. And you have that little period where the, uh, obviously the GPS has lost signal and then coordinated back. Um, and it had me thinking that over the course of the game, this must have a big effect on, or some effect on the the numbers we're getting out from the game. So my first uh, chapter was really looking around the signal quality of um, data we get from match days within stadiums. So using what's kind of recommended out there by manufacturers and research, kind of setting these thresholds to say, okay, we're only going to look at data that has acceptable um, satellite arrangement with HDLP, that has acceptable positioning quality, which is a a specific metric by one of the um, providers as well. And to kind of say, okay, what does data look like from a game if we cut out everything that isn't in that acceptable zone? And how far off is that from what we're actually taking in? Just to kind of give us a perspective of this is the amount of data that potentially we're saying doesn't have good signal. Um, and we've got some interesting findings from that in that the generally in average, the data is good, but there's periods of games that can be very bad. Um, and the other finding, which was, I guess, quite obvious in, in practice, but first, first time kind of quantified objectively in terms of within research was that players in wider positions are subject to more noise and are subject to worse um, signal quality, and therefore their data might need to be looked at a bit deeper. Um, but also highlighted the importance of these manufacturers actually being able to show us how good the signal quality is. I think that's really important as well. Um, so yeah, that's what the what the first study looked at. Absolutely excellent, mate. So you've been a you've been a busy man getting that one sorted. Yeah, um, finding the time for that. <laughs> next to a normal job for. So yeah. you've you've got your uh, you've got your data then. Um, how can how can you then use that to impact an athlete when you're when you're gonna then yeah you, you've got you've got all that information uh, what do you do with it? I think first and foremost, like you say, you, you have all that data from different disciplines from different departments. It's about having it in a home. It's about having it somewhere where it can make sense, not stored in different places and not very manual. Um, so having a good AMS or whatever system it is you'd use to be able to marry up all this information is really important. So you can, like I say, get that player profile and get a good understanding to say, okay, this is an important area we need to address now. Or is this the most important with regards to, is it medical? Is it nutrition? Is it um, something fitness related? So how that's how that data is stored is really important because then once you have that, you can then influence like I say, the athlete's program based on the area that you feel is the most important. 
Um, and then with the athlete themselves, I think if they, they see that and you're able to show, okay, this is a big focus for you because here is your profile, here's where we see how you sit um, and this is a main area where we need to improve you for X, Y, and Z reasons, uh, be it body fat needs to drop because that will improve um, certain uh, factors with regards to how easy you find performance, et cetera, uh, whatever it might be, you can then explain that quite well in, in that why their program will look how it is, that education and that bringing the athlete involved in that I think is quite important so they have that buy-in. Um, and then also you can actually use that data even not directly to influence the athlete, but take, for instance, match data. Match data can be used so much to influence athletes generally via a coach or via someone taking the session because when we quantify the game, we then know what the match day looks like. We know what peak demands and what um, intensities that they may need to work at. And we can try to influence factors within training to get players to work towards them higher intensities more, you know, and, and then mess about and um, adapt factors, contextual factors within sessions, such as, you know, area sizes, rules that are used, things like that to, um, to get us closer to matched levels of, of intensity. Absolutely brilliant, mate. Could you give us an example of, of how that might look? It doesn't have to be a real example, just a, just an example of how maybe you would take a, a piece of data that you see in a, a game and then adjust some training based on that? Yeah, of course. So it, it could be within any drill, but you, you have your levels in, tra- in, in match day, you'll have total volumes, you'll have um, intensity volumes with regards to that same uh, metric, but per minute, you'll then potentially also be looking at peak periods. So what is the worst case, one minute, two minute, up to however, however far you'd want to look, period that a player or a position group has to deal with. Um, and then you can get an idea as to how variables can change within training um, to get you closer to them intensities. So... A simple idea is as simple as being able to say that by opening the um, relative area size of, of a drill, we're able to run at more higher meters per minute is, is an example. Um, the distance between efforts, even modifying runs such as things, you know, it could be a crossing and finishing drill and by being able to adapt the distance a player has to run before a certain event could help you get into sprint zones, etc. Um, other rules and how other rules and um, decisions within games impact things such as are we going to use offsides? Are we going to use throw-ins? Are we going to use corners? Because all that kind of stuff, the set plays are going to slow the game down. Um, so knowing how each of these rules, which are often added from the coach's perspective, influence the physical output of a session is, is really important to be able to, to, give that decision, to give that information and then make the most um, informed decision you can. Absolutely brilliant, mate. So with that in mind, right, like you've, you've also got to do that with the coach. Um, because I imagine as a sports scientist, yeah, my sports scientist, I, I, as uh, my sports science role, don't just walk into the <laughs> walk into the hall and be like, right, we're changing everything. Um, you mean, so you so, don't decide the session, no? <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough. Um, so, I, obviously, you've got to communicate with the coach. Um, how do you think the practitioners can then best uh, sit with the coach to make sure that the, the these training sessions are then being adapted and adjusted so that we can get the optimal uh, response for every individual player? Yeah, I think I think it revolves around education. Um, I think from my experiences, if if you're going to so far, if if you go in um, as the person with all the knowledge and all the information and show uh, what can be any sort of training report or any sort of whatever feedback tool you've created and say this is what we need to do, um, I don't think that has longevity in it. Um, so I think education is important in terms of 
again from from like a GPS side of things, being able to educate a coach um, on on what different metrics mean, uh, how they relate to a match day, how they relate to football actions is important. So explain what is a high speed run on a football pitch, what what, what um, tactical factors often and technical factors often influence that. Um, what is a high acceleration, things like that, and you educate them and then educate them on the importance on how that can that can influence the player's robustness and their training volumes, etc. And I think once you educate them around these different things, they probably have, a, it's a better way of being able to communicate with them and they can essentially hopefully start to make some decisions themselves in the, in the way you want to go. Um, so I think their education is is quite important as well, just like they can teach us things about the game. I think it's I think sports scientists can teach them things about uh, training loads and how we can influence these factors in training. Um, and then I think as a as a almost a uh, supplement to that is how you're feeding back, what you're feeding back, your reports. Um, I think having one generic report to kind of say this is what how we feed back and and this is what I'm going to give you. Uh, doesn't really work. It has to be based on that first understanding. What does the coach know? What factors of sports science does he understand? Is he very astute to it or is he someone who's never worked with sports science and doesn't really care much maybe? That's really going to influence how many variables you put up, how are you going to do it, what visuals you're going to use, are you just going to keep it really simple, can you add contextual layers to it? All that's going to be influenced by their knowledge. And then making that feedback and that report to a point where you're confident you can put it in front of a coach or leave it on a desk even. And I'm not saying that's the way to do it, but being confident to be able to go, I can put it there, the coach can read it, and I'm confident he can take the main takeaways from it without me having to talk through it. Um, I think that's an important one because if there's too much and you, you're sitting there and go, maybe he won't get the takeaways, then it needs to be stripped back in my opinion. Um, so starting really simple and building from that. Um, and then that, that stems across all the disciplines, to be honest with you. So that you have your coach and the coach might have a certain drill and that's going to be based on what their prerogative is and what they find as most important. What And you have to ask the question of what's most important in a coach's perspective is performance, probably winning the game. So you'd base your metrics and all your visuals and everything around that, whereas someone in the medical department, that report might be is more than likely going to be based on injury prevention factors and workload issues. So you'd you'd make it based on that. And I think that's really important to be able to adjust according to what the the kind of main aim of that stakeholder is. Absolutely brilliant. And then when it comes to the the outcomes of uh, of these discussions. Um, what 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 should practitioners be aiming for in terms of an outcome of their communication? Um, I think it's being able to give the information to the decision maker. So if it's the head coach, if it's the coaches who are ultimately going to make a decision on something. In that example, you, you get you asked earlier. Um, you want to make sure they're fully informed and they get the information you're getting. Um, so I don't think the outcome needs to be that you win, <laughs> if that makes sense, that yeah. you get what you wanted. Um, but knowing that you've given the information as to why you feel your opinion is what it is, um, and you've educated them around that and be confident. I think you want to be able to go out to go, yeah, that person understood why I meant that. And he made a decision based on all the information he had. Um, I think the, the disappointing uh, feeling is sometimes if you were to go in and go, I don't think they got what I was trying to say, or you have a meeting and you don't think they understood it, or you feel like you've gone over their head, you've given too much and they've and they've kind of not wanted to listen to it. So I think from that communication, you want to be able to, for that key decision make, maker, whoever it might be, is is make sure that you've 
given them as much information so that they can make the most informed decision possible. And sometimes it is not what you've recommended, but again, that's why they're in the, those positions. You're here as a, as a support mechanism. Um, often they may go with you, often they may make their own decision, but you want to be confident that you've given your reason as to why and in a way that is understandable um, to that whoever that might be. Absolutely ideal. So when, when it then comes to uh, how the, the game itself can impact these factors, um, are, there, are there technical and tactical factors which is going to have uh, then an impact on sports science data? It should. In my opinion, it should. Um, it's, it's quite a big thing in terms of something there's a lot of research going on and, and contextual factors around around the game and training. I think it's very important. I think there's the one side of, of sports science, of course, where you're looking at your workload management and you're looking at things to maybe uh, injury prevention points of view um, or things to improve robustness. Of course, that might that might sit on one side, but on the other side of the spectrum is is that actual on-field performance. Um, and I think based on your sport and similarly based on um, the way your team play, the playing style is also going to impact what KPIs you find important. If, if obviously within within my sport, if if you're in in football, if you're if you're a counter-attacking side versus a team that are going to keep possession for the majority of the game versus a team that are going to press very high, there's potentially going to be different KPIs involved in um, your game, dependent on them factors. So I think that should have a fact influence on what you report, what you feed back. Um, and what, which of their metrics are actually important for you to be good at from a subjective point of view and objective point of view in order to improve performance. Um, and then again, from, from that side of things, making, making training look more like the game. If, if you're a side, you want to counterattack, but you, in training, it's often small areas and short and sharp work, then you're not actually training to the benefit of how the team needs to be. Um, so being able to marry up what it looks like on the pitch to what it looks like on training, um, objectively also, I, I think is is really important. Um, yeah, I think that's that's excellent advice, and it's probably something that, that can be missed or overlooked very quickly in uh, in the sports science and SNC world, where in, uh, in actual fact you, you want to do your small sided games, but it doesn't have any relevance to to how they're going to perform. Um, yeah, I think it's it's also it's. They are just different contextual factors. So I think sometimes it's about comfort as well. I think sometimes sports scientists may not want to speak about that side of football because maybe it's seen as not our side of things. And by no means am I saying sports scientists should be able to talk to the coach, tell the coach about the playing style or anything like that. But there's for me, there's no reason why you can't ask the questions to the coach to gain your own knowledge. Being in and around, you know, you listen to the coach or you listen to the manager, whoever it might be, and how they're talking to the team. Uh, what they're demanding more of and relate that to a physical side of things. So it might be a lot of tactical stuff, but it, essentially information on match days, the, the movement data you get from match days, the physical stats are just how a player is moving on the pitch. Of course, effort and fitness and everything like that is going to influence how the player moves. But so are other contextual factors that are seen acceptable, such as formation and position. You know, you don't have to convince anyone that the wingers covering more high speed running than the center half because of his position not because he's fit at, like everyone accepts that. But then also, why is it not acceptable to say, well, they're pressing us right from the front and we're trying to sit off and counter. That's why we're not covering more of this drill, uh, this um, metric. That's almost not seen as acceptable because that contextual layer is maybe seen a bit too much. Um, 
but they are they are just that different contextual factors that influence how a player moves, which is essentially then their physical stats from a game. I think it's super interesting. It makes an excellent case that actually the the sports scientist or SNC coach uh, should be working very closely with the with the sport coach, and ideally have a very good understanding of the technical tactical aspects as well. Um, but before before we uh, finish up, because I'm wary that you're a very busy man who's probably got to finish off his PhD and a thousand other things during the season, <laughs> um, I want to ask what uh, what you think that young footballers can do with technology in order to improve their performance. Because obviously we've discussed uh, how professionals can do things, but it's not always possible that uh, that young footballers have the same opportunities. Are there are there similar things or uh, substitutes which young footballers can use to make sure that they're getting the best out of sports science? I think it's the process can can remain the same. Um, first of all, you need to identify what it is you want to improve, and you can you can do that yourself. You can do that by talking to your coaches or, or peers or people around you. What is it? If it's from we're talking from a physical performance point of view, what is it you want to improve? Do you want to be able to cover more ground in a game? Do you want to sprint quicker? Do you want to accelerate better? What what is it do you want to do? And the process of being able to measure your performance. Uh, then have a plan on, okay, what am I going to do to improve this? And again, you'd seek out maybe specialists, information online, whatever it might be, you, you know, video um, resources available online, whatever you might do, uh, then have a plan. Okay, this is this is the training or this is what I'm going to do to improve it. Having a time frame on it is very important to say, okay, I'm going to do this program for six weeks or whatever it might be. And then measuring, retesting and measuring it again, that process that we all go through at any level of, of, of the game um, in terms of sports science I think can apply also younger. It's just about measuring, having a training plan, um, retesting um, within a certain time frame. I think that can be, and it, it could be anything if it's, you know, you wanted to preview aerobic conditioning. So you, you do a two kilometer test to see how quickly you can do two kilometers and you, you whether you use a, um, you know, an, an app on a watch or a smartwatch or something to, uh, to measure your distance and you use that as the, your objective marker. Then you do an aerobic training program that maybe you find somewhere on, from speaking to a coach or from an online resource or whatever it might be for X amount of time that you measure and you set out from the start, I'm going to do this this much training and then you test it again and you, you see the improvement. Absolutely brilliant, mate. I think that's some fantastic advice. So uh, massive thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure talking and uh, yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much, mate. No, pleasure. Thank you, buddy. Cheers. Take care. Bye. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Amar for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to check that one out and you can do that completely free using the link in the show notes. So in the show notes, there's a seven-day free trial where you can get your hands on all of those great lectures completely for free for the next seven days. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to also hit the subscribe button. That means that you won't miss out on next week's fantastic guest. And of course, if you could do us a quick favor and give us a review and a rating as well, we'd really appreciate it. That means we can keep spreading the great news of the podcast to as many people as possible. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.